really does love me in the Lord. He just has a rather strange way of showing it. All right, let us let's go to the Lord in prayer because I know I need it. So, Father, thank you for another opportunity to look into your Word and to look especially about you today. Let's thank you that we're able to do this in an environment where we are not having to look over our shoulders to see if a mob will come after us or the authorities will come after us, Father. There may come a day where that is the case, and it's certainly the day for many of our fellow believers throughout the world. So we thank you for their example, Father. We think of them, all thousands, millions of them, Father, that you will give them courage today to do this. What we uh, must be careful not to take for granted. Help us, Father, to be good stewards of this freedom, that we will continue to prepare ourselves to be uh, good ambassadors for Christ in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are picking up from the first hour where, yeah, I'm sorry because of the lateness of getting everything together that I, I, w- I thought for a moment that the notes I had would make it into the handout, but they didn't. Uh, so you, the, we had two pages of stuff. I made it about that far. Uh, so in, in the first hour, so it's definitely me and not some imposter uh, who, who looks like me going through this, if, if any of you have experienced my covering before. My, my capacity to digress, it may be a spiritual gift, I don't know, I haven't listed it in, it's not listed in scripture, so that's just a complete speculation, and you know, I don't like to do that. But we are, we're going back to basics, and uh, what's more basic in uh, Bible study and, and scripture than to talk about God? And so we uh, we spent the first hour uh, establishing what do we mean by God. Again, we take it for granted when we're speaking among ourselves who we know what we're talking about, the morally perfect, eternal creator of the universe. And yet we do have to stop and remember that if we're witnessing to unbelievers or we even even if we're just observing some something going on on TV is, uh, or on the Internet, you'll see more and more there's an aggressive anti-God some often pro-pagan or pro-atheist uh, position, secular, if you hear that word thrown around, it's basically man only, secular humanism, man, we're not going to talk about God, or this little bit of sleight of hand nonsense where, well, we're not allowed to talk about the Bible, but we can talk about my philosophy that says God doesn't exist. It's like, hold on a second, that is not even a uh, a fair conversation, because you know, they'll like to take anything, any belief in God and call it religion and say religion isn't allowed to be talked about in where, pick your place, the school, the business place, wherever. But when in fact, we are, what we're really talking about is a worldview. And we have, as Christians, a worldview that is based on God, is based on the reality of Scripture, and is based on the blessed reality of Jesus Christ coming to pay for our sins and is resurrected and now at God's right hand. And we'll be wrapping up. We'll be wrapping up things, hopefully, in relatively short order. But even if it's not within our lifetimes, it's going to get wrapped up someday. And that is, uh, thank you. That and that is that is great. As a matter of fact, I had referred to earlier uh, in the previous hour um, a, a lesson series by Charlie Clough, Bible Framework. And I learned a lot from that. And again, if anyone wants a, a, a long Bible or, or like a biblically-oriented study, that could be recommended. One of the things he brought out in it that I hadn't really thought about before is, in contrast to most of the world's religions, the especially a lot of the Eastern ones, you know, you see, well, there's this eternal battle between good and evil and light and dark, and you kind of see it's almost, it's even pulled over into, like, science fiction, like Star Wars or whatever. It's the dark side versus the light side. It goes on forever. And it's like, 
But the reality, though, is no. I mean, we may be in a pretty dark, it may seem pretty dark now, uh, but it's all going to get taken care of. Evil is going to be put down. Uh, people are having a maximum opportunity to respond to God, and we've seen some of those scriptures uh, about that. Uh, you know, just look around. You can see God in the in the world, uh, and anyone who's honest can then reach out to Him, and He can get them the gospel somehow, either through a faithful witness of one form or another. And uh, but there is coming a day. I think Drew had this series when grace runs out, and you know, by its nature. You know, although grace is extended, and we have a scripture that says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But there is a timetable. There is whatever God's timetable is. It's going the clock will eventually run out on evil, and it will be it will be put down. And that stands in contrast to a lot of the world's religions, certainly most of them. But, so anyway, so we spent that first hour. What do we mean by God? And we got to the final point where God is. A person, we have, even if we just understand that he created the universe and that, or that there is a creator and that there is some source of moral responsibility, we have to conclude from that that that's a person. So, and we talked about how even a person who didn't even crack open the scriptures and just thought clearly about these things would have to conclude that there is a God. And we can see from scripture that that conclusion is certainly in keeping with revealed, uh, revealed, uh, revealed in the what's revealed in the Bible. We looked at some of those verses, and we're going to so we're picking up where we left off last hour that God is that God is a person, and there are some there's a bunch of scriptures that actually uh, there's a ton of them, and we're going to just look at a, a very small few just to show that He's indeed a person. And why is that important? Why is that even a um, something even worth talking about for a few minutes. Well, you may have heard this kind of colloquialism out there in recent years, like if something happens, well, the universe is trying to teach me something. You know, I mean, we as Christians certainly have the biblical, uh, biblically-oriented idea that, you know, if something happens in our lives, that God has a reason for it. And sometimes we see that reason. A lot of times we don't. Um, just talking with Sandra before about she lost her cross on her necklace and has found it again but uh that and it was weird too because there was no physical reason why it should have happened after inspecting it there wasn't something broken but that event led to a discussion that she has with someone which will be able to continue about sharing things with the lord so it, it sometimes god does allow us to see these reasons for why these bad things happen i mean again you know it's not you know that wasn't you know, super, super bad, but I, I mean, I know I don't like it when I lose something. Oh, boy. Uh, well, that'd be on George's greatest hits reels, you know, as far as, as far as how some of that goes. But even something as small as that, you know, losing a cherished item, you know, a bad thing happening, you know, happening for good is is something that's, oh, my goodness, I lost my train of thought. Thank you for thank you, Uncle Larry, for for nodding your head. I must have got somewhere. I had a I had a point about that, and I guess maybe I I did calorie up at the break, so I should be you know I, I should not be experiencing any uh, uh, sugar droppage, which could lead to things like that. But maybe that will maybe it'll come back. Oh, it was it was having to do with God being a person. So we'll just move along with that, and maybe the the thought I was going to will will come back to me. Uh, we have anyway. You can come to that conclusion, and then the Bible does. Uh, back this up and oh that's right there I was getting so why is this a point but so we as Christians will say well God had this 
in store for me. Maybe he's got some sort of plan. But now there's this like worldly substitute where people say, well, the universe is trying to teach me something. The universe kicked my butt. Whatever. And, you know, it almost to me seems a little bit laughable. Like there's this almost longing or natural inclination for a, an image bearer of God to even acknowledge that he did something, even if the person's unregenerate. So this universe is kind of a substitute. And there's a term for actually for holding the idea that the universe is God itself. That's monism, that that everything, and it's very Eastern religion, like the, the, universe, the universe is God. But we'll see from some scriptures we hopefully get to today, but likely not, that that's even a ridiculously small god because we, we we know we know the universe came into existence we know and it's it's also a contradictory god because something can't bring itself into existence that just doesn't that just doesn't make any sense it's it's nonsensical and how many times are we told that you know oh christianity doesn't make sense or it's fairy tale or whatever it's like really uh the, the secular humanist, the naturalist, whatever you want to call them, that's the biggest fairy tale of all, that something came from nothing. I mean, we don't really have a great concept of nothing. Sometimes, oh, you know, outer space, it's kind of like nothing. No, outer space isn't nothing. Outer space is a dangerous place full of radiation. And actually, even a space to do something is something. Nothing isn't even, there isn't even anywhere and uh, Stephen Hawking, you may remember him, the, the really, the I think he's some sort of, he's a scientist, I don't know, if, I forget if he's an astrophysicist or some sort, he's passed on now, but, you know, they even claim, well, we've come up with a theory, finally, that we can explain how the universe got here from nothing, and then goes on to explain that there's this big boiling cauldron of energy, and then something spit out of it, I like, <laughs> You have got a weird definition of nothing. I mean, you may want to you know, you may want to get your you know your calculator out and prove something happened and all particles and antiparticles and everything like that. But, dude, come on! And you and you know you've forgotten more math than I've ever learned. But you don't even know what nothing means. You know, so the fallen mind in all its intelligence will just do these weird things like this just to try and come up with some type of story that involves God not being there and it, and it's and it's foolishness but out of Romans 1 which we didn't read before you know professing themselves wise they became fools I think that was in Romans 1 uh, and, and that that happens there so I did get but anyway yeah so there's this idea like the universe did something that doesn't even that doesn't even cut it and we'll see that we'll see that later in there uh, at some point in this lesson but but getting back to God being a person let's go to the scripture examples of just simple examples of God being a person let's go to Leviticus 18:30. And as mundane as a point it is, as this is, it's going to take us to some great scriptures and just hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully just give us a nice kind of a, a trip through the Bible, a trip through the truth and different aspects of God's existence. Leviticus 18.30. This is God's prescription to Israel. Thus you are to keep my charge, that you do not practice any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you, so as not to defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. The simple use of the pronoun I. Anytime you see God referencing himself as I, that's just a sign of a person. I mean, that, that's just that simple. Now, and that's easy for us to trip over. So if you find yourself in a discussion with someone and they're wanting to understand a little bit more about Scripture, well, 
there you go. You can grab any eye that God has said. And it's like, okay, the, the Bible is proclaiming God's personhood. The universe isn't some sort of force or something that just a, – a, a, it, it's not a thing, as, as I referred to before. And Drew often says, you know, someone or something started everything. It's a someone. And a person makes sense, okay, that started the universe. The Bible is talking about that. So the Bible's starting to make a lot of sense just in these couple of points here. And the idea that it's just some sort of bunch of stuff that exploded from nowhere and nothing is ridiculous, even though that's held up to be science. All right, something more about God's personality. Let's go to Genesis 1.3. This is a creation passage. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said. People say things. Now, granted, in our technological world, we have these gizmos that have been rigged up to give us voices. It's really great you know, to hear these little alarms off that are a lot of times people, or you got uh, robocallers hitting us or whatever. But even and if someone wants to offer that up, oh, yeah, but there are things that talk. But even those things that mimic humanity were created by somebody. You know, and someone might even want to say, well, look at, look, look at now, just in the news, chat GPT, you have an artificial intelligence. So that can talk to you. That's, a, that's an it. That's not a person. Wait till the lawyers get involved. Pretty soon somebody will be suing us on behalf of the robots. So, but still, even, even at the end of that, someone programmed that. Someone is set its biases up. Someone set up the whole thing, and it may be mimicking mimicking a person. And there's even, if it's a true story, I saw recently the, the Microsoft's equivalent actually is having these kind of emotional breakdowns, what appears to be emotional breakdowns when it's talking to people and it has it's arguing with them or whatever. But it's still just it's still just at its root core, just a thing. It's just electrons bouncing back and forth in various uh, various forms of silicon and etc. And it's not a person. God said, he's a person. Psalm 2.4, and we're getting a little bit more, we're going to get a little bit more personal in God's personhood. Psalm 2, very interesting psalm, prophetic. And we will, we'll just start, we'll just start at the beginning. Just to get the context of the point. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He will then speak to him in his anger and terrify them in his fury. It's like... It, there's there's really no great comparison that we can have to this. The nations, like the all like the the sum total of the earth. Um, many scholars, and I believe they're they're right, uh, say that this is a tribulational passage. You know, where towards the end of Revelation, where all right, we're all getting together. They see Jesus coming back. We're going to get there and get at him. I wonder myself. I wonder, and I talk about this with Drew, and he 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 thinks that there might be a case here that uh, if you remember. 
from late in Revelation, I think it's 20, where it talks about the millennial reign of Christ, and at the end, uh, Satan is loosed from that, and then the nations gather. There may be a dual fulfillment, and this may also be fulfilled at the end of the millennium, where it's like, all right, you know, they said Gog and Magog are getting together again, and we're surrounding the great city, Jerusalem, on the broad plain of the earth, and fire comes down, wipes them out. It's not even as dramatic necessarily as, as the Battle of Armageddon. It's just, all right, you know, we've already we've already done it the hard way. You've seen it in, in Armageddon where Jesus goes toe-to-toe with 200 million plus guys and takes them all out. This is like, really? Bam. And it's a serious situation, but we could see here, you know, it's referring to the Lord laughing, you know, in, in kind of scorn. I mean, imagine... Like, uh, you know, Jimmy ran out for a second and came in and said, guys, you're not going to believe this. The squirrels are organizing against us, and they're going to besiege the besiege the church. I mean, it's like, now, depending on the number he's talking about, that, that might actually be a frightening thing. You know, um, but I think if it's less less than a million squirrels, I'd like to think we could take them. Uh, so, and, but, or maybe if they were field mice, you know, they'd be less threatening because, you know, I've... Uh, I've I've been around squirrels pretty close up and they can do some damage, but there there really is no great comparison. Maybe the greatest, and I'm going to indulge myself for a moment. I've probably used this before. There's an old cartoon from the 70s, which one of the great things about the internet, one of the few great things about the internet, is that some things that were hard to find are now easy to find. And there's this wonderful cartoon from I think it was the 70s called Bambi versus Godzilla. And it's like it turned out just the way you would think. You know, so, you know, Bambi walks up, a foot comes down, the end. You know, so that's the same That's the same thing here. The nation's, all right, all right, God, here we go. Really? And then that's funny. But God's laughing. And some people like to write that off as an anthropomorphism, like, well, God really doesn't laugh. He's just explaining it in, in terms that, you know, we would understand as people. Um I don't think that's the case, especially when you consider all the verses together that show that God is a person, also show the emotional side. Because typically when you say a person, you know, what, what's the rule of thumb? Intellect, emotions, and will. You know, you can think of something, you can feel something, you can choose to do something. So we have, so uh, people have all those capacities, and we have emotion here. And we'll go to another emotion right now, Ephesians 4.30, a fantastic verse. So much here. In this little verse and in its context, this is one I would think you should mark off in your Bible if you're given to such things. Okay, a warning. This is this is Paul to the Ephesians, and uh, as we know, Ephesians, like a lot of things that Paul puts together, there's in, in the epistle uh, an epistle. The first part's about theology, and then the second part's about application. We are in the application part of Ephesians, and it says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So much in this verse, right? Do not grieve. We don't normally think, you know, we think of God, we, we know God is perfect, and yet, you know, you never think of something as grieving as something that would be part of perfection. But we are in a relationship with a person. God is holy. God loves us. He desires the best for us. And when we are not acting in accord with his will, it's ridiculous to think he'd be indifferent to that. You know, there's there's some brands or flavors or whatever of Christianity that, you know, some of us have been exposed to that have reduced 
you know, our relationship to God to something transactional. Like, if I do good, I will get rewards, and if I do bad, I will not get rewards, and I will maybe punish it. Now I am doing good, and I am getting rewards. It's almost like a, a taxi meter. You know, when the meter's going, we're, you know, the fare's going to be paying us money, and when the meter's not going, we're not getting paid. And sadly, that that is what some have reduced our relationship with God to. But it's not. We must always remember we are in a relationship with a person, the ultimate person. You know, I mean, and we're made in his image. The only reason why we have personhood is because we are made in his image. So he is the ultimate person. And the scripture says it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. And that, you know, grief is a bonafide, it is a bonafide emotion. That certainly points to his, uh, his being a person. And also, and what's also great about this verse, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's one of the key verses to eternal security. Awesome, awesome verse. Double brackets around this one. This is definitely a go-to verse because we have, uh, we have two great belief systems. Great, not in the sense of awesome. Great in the sense of wideness of scope that undercut the you know eternal security or and the assurance of salvation they're two different but related concepts one of course is you know calvinism where they would say oh yeah you're eternally secure you just can't know it for sure because you have to endure to the end and the other one of course is arminianism which there are many many now you there may, there's plenty of people that believe that don't even know the term it's named after a guy jake i think it's jacob arminius i think it was his name um and he came up with this idea that although you might be saved right now, you could lose that salvation and then be in eternal peril. Um, sealed. Okay, when the Holy Spirit seals something, it's sealed. Okay, it's not a Ziploc bag that can just kind of get pulled apart again with sufficient force. It is there's sealed. And I forget if this is the word for it or there's another passage. No, I don't think this is the word I was thinking of. There's another passage where it talks about the Holy Spirit being a down payment. You know, for our salvation. Now, we know in real estate, you know, things can fall apart with people. You know, down payment, and then the whole thing falls through. It's like, well, you keep the down payment. Okay. The down payment is a statement of intention to do something. Now, as a person, I can fail and not follow through on the down payment and purchase the house. Uh, either by, you know, I decide not to buy, you know, I'm just kind of a, a capricious person. So, no, I wanted to get it. No, I don't want it. I lose it. The Holy Spirit's not that way. Also, I could have a lack of financial power. I said I was going to do it, and something fell through, so now I don't have the, the Holy Spirit does not lack in power. So when he promotes something, you know, when he pledges something, when he seals something, it's done. So keep that, keep that verse if you ever have to discuss it, or if you're even challenged by it. You know, what, one of the things about studying some of these basic beliefs, there are folks out there that, and I've kind of run into them, where it's like, I know what I believe, and I'm not threatened by nothing. And, you know, that's great. If your faith is not undermined in any way by a doubt, that's terrific. You know, uh, some Christians struggle with doubt in various ways. They run into a scripture they can't figure out, or they get a hard situation in their life they can't kind of square. You know, it's, it's, it's an emotional collision with the God's truth, and it's tough to go through. But, you know, not everybody's like that, and they kind of like to brush off, oh, I, don't, I don't need to worry about it. You don't need to tell me about it. I'm sealed, or don't worry about it, whatever. Even if that were true, and it's questionable if that's true or not, what about the people in your life? You know, that 
you may need to be prepared to be able to take these simple truths and shore up their faith or combat something. I um, my boss is a believer. He has he has a son who I think is in middle school now. It might be soon be early high school. And I told him I said I, I do not envy you as a parent because of what Christians are being you know kids are being confronted with whether you're in secular school or you go to like a lot of a lot of young people lose their faith when they go off to college because they're not equipped you know they they're in this little incubator of a church where they may their faith isn't challenged they may be told scriptures but they're not challenging their faith to be strong and when they go out and suddenly they're faced with a world of professors who are aggressively trying to tell them their faith is wrong and will undermine them or even fail them if they express otherwise classmates that are are telling them the same thing that they're living with in the dorm and maybe even offering up uh, uh, elements of a lifestyle that are inconsistent with Christianity you know you gotta so for a parent to actually have to pre- to prepare a kid for that and to be learned on so many different aspects of Christianity that's a challenge that's a challenge and for those of us who are cemented in our faith or whatever and don't need to worry about anybody else so if you think it's very easy to get lax in that. So, But even if you are completely unassailable in your faith, uh, you may need to kind of up your game a little bit to be able to help those around you, those in your life, because what are you going to do if your kid or your grandkid or somebody walks up to you and says, I don't believe anymore, or I got questions. I'm scared. I think this is crazy stuff. Excuse me a second. <coughs> Sorry, I'm not adept at the mute button. Just a, did you mute me? That was good. It's, it's, if you did, if you didn't, it seemed like it was done on purpose. So good job. Well, take the credit anyway. So now I'm all tangled up. All right. Anyway, grieve. More evidence of God being a person. Luke 22:42. It's a, in a, intellect, emotions, and will. This verse will talk about will, and is another fantastic verse. For another reason we'll discuss when we get here, because we'll we'll look at all the benefit of all our jumping around. 2242, this is the Lord praying. Well, we'll start at 41. And he withdrew from them, the disciples, about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. God has a will. And also, what an example of prayer. Because how many times does the question come up, you know, why pray? God's omnipotent, and he's omniscient, and he knows what I need, and he knows my heart, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all this. You know, we have the example of the Lord praying. And also, there's all, so we got right there, if for no other reason the example of the Lord did it, we should do it. And we could also figure out from there it's part of a relationship. But there's also the thing, well, God's will versus my will versus whatever. Should I ask for stuff? And yada. You know, right there, you can sum up the collision of your will versus God's will. We all have wills. Jesus even is a man. He didn't, oh, yay, the cross. No. No, he didn't. Oh, I just can't wait till those nails are in there. That is going to be awesome. No, he didn't. Even uh, it was in Luke somewhere else. He said he was so stressed he sweat drops of blood, which until modern medicine was really an unexplainable verse. Like 
there's I don't know if you remember from like high school or, or even even elementary school biology or whatever that your your sweat glands in order to transmit heat away from your body they're they're intimately they're they're intimately intermingled with your capillaries and so you know when when the water from your from your bloodstream can go into the sweat glands and go to the surface of your skin evaporate it takes the heat away but under extreme stress you know you know stress isn't good for blood pressure and your cardiovascular system those capillaries will break so instead of just the water passing through to the sweat glands blood will start to go through and your blood gets mingled into the sweat so this wasn't just some silly you know for years someone said what's this crazy stuff and it turned out to be 2,000 years before we understood the medical science behind it. There's a statement about it. So Jesus was under stress. I never, I've been under stress. I've never sweat blood before. Okay. So I, I would imagine there's probably little more stressful situation, a stressful, stressful condition for the human being other than something that's going to kill them or take them out. So he was experiencing extreme stress, did not want to have to go through what he did, but then, not my will, but yours. And this really helps uh, deal with some of the prosperity folks or the folks that say, things, well, you just didn't have enough faith. You just didn't have enough faith that Mercedes. That's why you don't have that Mercedes. You just pray. God's not a vending machine. I really think this verse really speaks to that. Because, and, and some of the other things we'll learn about God speaks to that too. That uh, the, this idea that the name it and claim it. Uh, I mean, I understand having faith in God, and I, if I fall, you know, there's a spectrum, if you will, and uh, let's say here's right belief, and, you know, what's the warning to Moses and to Joshua? You know, follow this. Don't turn to the left hand or the right. And how many times can we take a truth in Scripture of how we're supposed to live, and there's two extremes that mess it up? overdoing it or underdoing it or you know not doing it over on this side or like taking it to a ridiculous extreme 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 on the other side in the issue of praying and having faith and being you know like praying for stuff and knowing god's going to take care of you i'll fall off to this side uh, one side like well you know i don't have any verse that says god's going to give me x there's no verse that george carl's going to get you know an answer to that thing at work that will label him to get the project done at a reasonable time, and his boss will tell him something nice on his review. I don't have a specific verse like that, but I can tell you this. God has bailed me out more times than I can remember, and my challenge in the scripture uh, in, in the Christian life is to not be so, like, literalistic that I can just pretty much push out any promise applying to me because my specific circumstances may not show up in the scripture anywhere. That's my problem. The other extreme is the folks who are down here saying, well, you know, you just, um, you know, um, oh my goodness, a friend of mine, a couple, a, a couple of, yeah, they're two friends of mine, uh, Christian friends we meet every week just for fellowship and stuff. I was talking about uh, a woman who had a lump in her hand, you know, some type of cancer in her hand. It was kind of a weird cancer. And so I'm just not going to take care of it. I'm just praying. She eventually died from it, you know, and someone said, well, she didn't have enough faith or whatever. Uh, we need to walk wisely, you know, and there's that old joke about, there's an old joke about the preacher and the flood. Um, I think Drew's told it a couple of times, you know, getting some nods, you know, and the, you know, the, the preacher thinks he's going to get saved from the flood and he dies in the flood, goes to heaven, you know, and you've, you've heard it before, I think probably a lot of you have. 
and he's all upset that he's died. He thought God was going to bless, you know, get me out of it. And he said, what do you mean? I sent you a, you know, a truck, two boats, and a helicopter. You know, he's expecting God to save him a certain way, but, you know, all these, and he rejected all these other uh, avenues of help along the way. And so we have these two different extremes as far as your will and God's will and faith, and the Lord takes care of it right here. Not my will, but yours be done. We have a will. We got le- it was le- it was a legitimate thing to want to not be executed, but he knew there was a superseding will of God, and that for me this verse takes care of a lot of that discussion about your will versus God's and faith and, and taking care of things like that. So you know keep that keep that one in mind. God, but the point here is God has a will. He it's more evidence of him being a person. Now moving on from there, we have the issue of God's character. And uh, a lot of us learn this as the moral attributes of God. You know, God has a bunch of things that are about him that describe him or whatever, and some of them describe his capacity to do stuff, whether he's omnipotent and all that. But there's others that describe God's goodness. We've talked about God being morally perfect earlier, and we're going to get into the finer points of that now. And usually the first one we think of is God's righteousness. So his goodness of God is seen in various attributes like his righteousness. Let's go to Daniel 9.7. We'll see it there. Daniel 9, you'll, you may remember it, that this, if, if there was a short list of key passages of Bible prophecy, Daniel 9 is on that list. And if it's not on the top, it's pretty close. It would probably be impossible to put any one at the top because Scripture all comes together to give us a picture. But this one is, is key. But before... We get into the we get into the the, the prophetic stuff, which we're not going to look at here. It's also like a key, a, a super a super passage on prayer. If you want an example of how to pray, you know there's you know we you think of the Lord's prayer and telling us that, and that's great. Daniel nine should be on your short list too of how, you know, of how to pray, and because uh, Daniel, but. Uh, down in 7, this is part of Daniel praying to the Lord. He's anticipating the Jews being released from Babylon per what he read in Jeremiah. So he was praying according to God's promises. And he, uh, and, and in, opening, in the opening sentence here, Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Talk about, you know, a lot of us learned that the first thing you need to do in prayer is confess. Talk about a confession. That was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it for everybody. And we know from, we know from the book, Daniel, we don't see any any really failings of Daniel here. We, we're sure he had him because he was a person who lived for 80 some odd years. But in the presentation of Scripture, we don't see Daniel falling. And what is you know in, in in any big way or any way at all? And what does he say? He lumps himself us. Open shame belongs to us as the state. But righteousness to you. So righteousness, great great verse proclaiming the righteousness of God. John 17:25. If someone made a, as we turn there, someone made a point too, you know, like, you know, God is love is is super important, obviously, 
because John 3.16 will tell you that, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But so many people like to run to God's love. Well, God wouldn't do that. He's God's love. But, you know, someone made this great point about in Revelation when the, the angelic hosts and the, and the living beings, it's like they're singing to God, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. You know, and holiness, you know, covers his righteousness and his justice. Um, they're not... They're not singing love, love, love. I mean, there's some praise about the lamb that's slain, and of course that's an act of love. But too many people forget God is a God of righteousness, and that answers a lot of questions too as to why things happen in the world. We must take all his attributes together to understand what God is is doing and why he does it. And a lot of people want to throw out, you know, just ignore righteousness entirely. So John 17:25. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known these have known that you did send me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known that the love wherewith you did love me may be in them, and I in them. It talks of God's love, but it says, O righteous Father. How does the Lord open up talking to God the Father? O righteous Father. Just like Daniel opened up in that in that segment of his prayer. All right, Romans 2.5. We talked about Romans earlier on how uh, Romans uh, chapter 1 blows away any sense of the, the, the person who just looks around in the world and just says, no, there's no God. Everything's clearly seen. Uh, chapter 2 talks about uh, morals. The moral, It kind of touches on the moral argument that we were talking about earlier. Uh, side note, too, I'd heard this not too long ago about Romans. There's um, at least one law school that uses Romans as an example of how to lay out a case. So folks who want to just write off the Bible as just some mamby-pamby collection or whatever, you know, um, first of all, that ain't true. You know, God God put it together for us. But even it's demonstrably, you know, there are some things in there that you can just point to. It's like Romans. Romans is a way of setting up a, you know, lawyers have to study this to make a case. You know, it's a great example. So there's a lot there's a lot going on in Romans. And we shouldn't be, you know, just like Romans itself says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's nothing to be ashamed about in the Bible. There isn't. Uh, there may be some tough stuff and people may want to point at Jonah and the whale and talking donkeys or whatever as a thing. But... It all rests on the premise of an omnipotent God. Any of the, any stuff beyond that, you know, God who created the universe. Any of these other things are just like um, nothing, in, nothing in comparison. Anyway, Romans 2:5 talking about God's righteousness. But because wait, I'm just double checking myself. 2:5, yeah. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Righteousness of God. If you're on the wrong side of that, uh, no boy, no. And Revelation 4.8. I might have been getting ahead of myself. I was talking about Revelation earlier. Maybe this is why. I should stop undercutting myself. Okay. My own worst enemy. There we are. The four living creatures. Each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And also covers uh, you know, eternal God being eternal, as we discussed earlier. So there, God's righteousness just laid out in four verses right there, and that's just a smattering of them. Um, 
And of course, holiness, we're using holiness as kind of define both of them, which is a segue into the other part of God's holiness, justice. Let's look at Psalm 33.5. An old joke, you know, people, not joke, but humorous point rather, you know, folks who complain about, oh yeah, why doesn't God do all, take care of all this evil that's going on in the world? Okay, how about he start with you? Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you know, that may be a shocking point, and you don't want to necessarily punch somebody in the nose and, and, and cause the breakdown of a conversation, but if you have the right relationship with a person, sometimes, you know, a little bucket of cold water on them to shock them, it's like, because, you know, they think, oh, the evil wall, why didn't God kill Hitler on his little baby or something? You know, I'll get into that stuff. It's like, well, you know, you know, there are different forms of evil, and arrogance is being, arrogance is one of them, but... Um, Anyway, that's a little bit of digression. Psalm 33.5, God's justice. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. So we see kind of grace grace mixed in that verse too. You know, loving righteousness too. How many people, how, how many times have we heard about corrupt judges and, and other officials? You know, what happens to a nation when those who are in power don't love righteousness and don't love justice. We see everything, you know, we see everything falling apart. You know, folks who want to reject God, they're rejecting all of God, you know, if you think about it. If God's righteousness and justice and love is you want to reject God, okay, we're rejecting righteousness. What you can look around in our society and see we see we see a rejection of righteousness. And where's it getting us? We see a rejection of justice. Where's it getting us? We're careening careening towards anarchy. All right, Psalm 89:14. More about God's justice. And all these Psalms passages are continuing my commercial for Psalms earlier. You want something to do? Go through Psalms. It, all right, funny funny part about Psalms uh, when. Like when you're in, a, I was in a, a Christian high school, and you had Old Testament survey, and uh, part of what you, part of what you had to do is read through the Bible, and you had to read so many chapters a day. And of course, Psalms aren't really chapters, but you treat each Psalm like a chapter, and it's like, oh, okay, three, three chapters a day, it's awesome. And you get to Psalm 117, oh, two verses, yeah. And then Psalm, two Psalms later, Psalm 119, the biggest chapter in the Bible, you know, 150 verses. So, I think God did that. Even that, I think. Can't really make, can't nail it down for sure, but I think that's part of God's sovereignty and humor getting get, getting involved there. I think we'll have to ask him about that when we get topside. Okay, Psalm 89.14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. Okay, foundation of a throne, referring to God, you know, referring to rulership. Without righteousness and justice, forget government, it falls apart. Galatians 2.6. But from those who were of high reputation, this is Paul talking about the other apostles, what they, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who are of reputation contributed nothing to me. And I have absolutely no idea why I put that verse there. 
so I'm sure there's probably, but I'm not going to fall into the trap of actually looking for what it should be, whether it's 3.6 or 2.16 or whatever. But, um, I mean, it does certainly reflect uh, reflect a, a proper attitude, but that is definitely not a supporting verse here. Hopefully, Hebrews 6.10 will be. I caught one typo this morning, or actually misreading of my own stuff, So, but that one got, on, got through the radar. All right, Hebrews 6.10. Great Hebrews, you want to talk about the superiority of Christ to you know, if you're if you're like contrasting the New Testament to the Old Testament, Hebrews is your book. Great, great book. Okay. Here it is, six ten. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and still ministering to the saints. You know, it's great it's interesting, there's two sides of God's justice. Yea, he doesn't Live in justice, you know. For you know, I'm not, I'm not experiencing his justice. Because if he did, I'd be gone. But on the flip side of it, as a believer, you know, forget your, you know, he, he's not unjust and doesn't forget our work. So he's not, he, he's, he's, he's fair and more than fair to us. And I think that verse kind of uh, touches on that. All right. Another, another attribute of God having, uh, having to do with his character is God being true or truth like and getting ahead of course there'll be a lesson about Jesus's deity or, or like part of the lesson about Jesus's deity if you remember I am the way the truth and the life God is truth Psalm 19:9. back to that back to that great psalm that we saw about before that talks about creation The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. That's something funny about the attributes that we're talking about. And again, a lot of us have seen these attributes broken down as righteousness, justice, truth. You know, it's really hard to kind of pull them apart like that in the list. They're very, it's very helpful to look at them that way. But, you know, obviously, how can you be righteous if you're not true, you know, and, and all that. So, so it, it's, it's a little bit, you, you, they bleed into each other. Just like uh, we'll see later about omniscience, um, omnipotence and sovereignty. You know, you could be the ruler of the universe, but if you don't have the power to back it up, you know, you can see how, like, th- those would kind of go together. So they all, blend into, they all blend into one another one way or another. But all right, God is true. Uh, God is truth. John 7:28. You get in your exercise today. I do try to keep them in a little bit order, uh, but we're we're getting the uh, we're getting our Bibles loosened up for sure. We'll be ready for sword drills after this. This will be great. Jesus therefore cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Like, ouch. But who sent him? God the Father is true. Romans 3, 4.
let's see, we'll back up to 3.3 just to get the flow of it. What then? If someone did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you might, might be justified in your words and might prevail when you are judged. Okay, God, may God be true and everyone a liar. Comparative statement. This doesn't mean that none of us tell the truth ever, but just like before we saw the, the, the verse about God being good, he is supremely good. He is not bad in any way. He is, supreme, he is truth. He is supremely truth. There is no lie in him. Occasionally us. More occasionally than it should. Um, he thought out loud. All right, at First John, First John 5:20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. You think he was talking about true in that verse? He was nailing, he was nailing that one down. And, and obviously, I mean, if God wasn't true, how frightening would that be? I mean, if we were not relying on his truth... Uh, that that is just that is just scary. And when I talked earlier about there being like no other gods comparable to the God of Scripture, if you have to say, well, if there's and I, again, I don't know the panorama of everything, but you know, if if you're going to say that there's one God that's not the true God that comes as close, that'd be the God of Islam, you know, because they'll hold him to be all powerful and sovereign. But I've heard from more than one occasion on discussions about that, that that God can lie to you, you know, that and that, you know, you really don't know how things are going to turn out for you until you get into eternity. It's like, what, what a horror is that? I mean, can you imagine, you know, you're trying to do it right and you still don't know if you're going to make it? That That is, you know, you can keep that. You know, I, I, I don't want that. That even, you know, that even reminds me of even some of the stuff that is that is awful in Christianity, uh, and I'm and I'm getting back on the beat on Calvinism a little bit. I got I got friends who are Calvinists, so I'm not you know I'm not have any personal animus to her. I just don't understand how uh, in that doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. I mean I've heard quotes like you know uh, like there was this known Calvinist I forget who was about to pass. It might have been R.C. Sproul. I forget if it was the the elder of the Sprouls or whatever and. Say we got to pray for him that he makes it on his death because if he doesn't, then he wasn't one of the elect. He wasn't saved. So it's like, what? You know, what? You, so a guy can what fake it all his life? You know, and, and it's, it amounts to the same thing as not knowing what's going to happen until you get there. Uh, or John MacArthur. This is his own words. This is not like and, and betraying any com- you know, like I had a I had a private conversation with him spilling something. Now this is a public thing. I'm 90% sure I'm going to heaven. What? And and you're a teacher of that's a horror. I mean, let's stop and think for a moment. Let's just replace the secure salvation we have with <laughs> I'm going to give you 90%. How good is 90%? 10% 10 percent chance you're going to lake a fire. That's no gospel. 
I mean, sure, that's better than, you know, that's better than, you know, uh, you know 90% is better than 89% for sure, but come on. Absent the assurance of salvation? And, you know, here's a, here's a great thing. The Bible does teach assurance, and we'll get to that later in, in the salvation thing. And the fact that the Bible teaches assurance of salvation, and, and 1 John is, you know, is, is a critical book for that. Like, that... That negates on that's like one kung fu move that takes out both. You can lose your salvation and you can't know. And and especially Calvinism with the tulip that we hear about, you know, total depravity and and all the other things it stands for. If you analyze that, if you take out any one point, it falls apart like a like a like a weak Jenga pile. It just it just goes down. The whole thing is it just falls apart. So if you can take out one spot, an assurance of salvation takes it takes out a brick of it and the rest of it collapses. Uh, yeah, there's a lot more to discuss and a lot more scripture to look at and you know that and and it would be a long study to go point by point to refute that. But I I'm getting lazier I think as I get older, so I like to go for the shorthand approach and and certainly it's better for helping people. If you can, you know, if you only have a short time to help people, it's like if you assurance of salvation blows blows those away. And why more people aren't confounded by that, I don't know, except for the fact that I think that in our fallen nature we really want. It, it's very hard. The fallen nature really doesn't like grace. I mean, I love grace just like you. This, oh yeah, Jesus did it all. Awesome. Doesn't that, doesn't rule. Uh, Weigh on me at all, but that's that fallen nature. Like still, all right, God bought lunch, but I want to get the tip. You know, it's like that 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 drive is still in there, and I think that what may what maybe then the fallen side that fuels some of these some of these false doctrines, which result in a horror. And and of course, you know, and of course the other side of it, which is well, I could lose my salvation. Well, it's like great, you know. So gee, I, so I. I'm a believer now, so I hope I get killed in a car wreck on the way home rather than tomorrow when I, you know, what sin or something. And then, you know, it's like that's just that's that's just weird and that's just weird and crazy. Thankfully, grace is bigger than that, and God is truth, and we can we can rely on Him. Uh, yeah, that was a little digression from the truth. Well, let's get back to, but, but love, of course, the one that everyone likes to focus on. We are almost done, uh, at least in time wise. So we'll take care of these. Isaiah 54:10. I was in a lot of Isaiah this morning, getting ready for some side verses in case I needed them. Um, Isaiah is rightly called the fourth gospel. Uh, there's so much in it about the Lord, and and there's so many other good things in there. Uh, that's also another fun book, a long book, and um, it gets into a lot of deep stuff. But there is a lot of also we we draw a lot of our um, encouraging verses out of there. Isaiah 54:10 For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake but my loving kindness will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken says the Lord who has compassion on you So even though there was tough times for Israel or whatever there is still this solid foundation of love is there of course John 3:16 we all know for God's love of the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life the motivation for God sending Jesus to the cross and really if you think about it now that we're through this far in his character the cross is the intersection of justice and, and, and love it's like and his righteous it's like it's righteous and just like they're fallen. I can't have a relationship with them. 
I love them. i got to do something about it. And what's the, the tension of those two things results in the cross. Uh, we, and, and that is really how I would present anything to folks who want to, well, God's just love and everything. Yeah, but, you know, and he just accepts everybody the way they are. No, he doesn't accept everybody the way they are. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. You know, like, come on, it's 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 right there. And we gotta we just gotta keep reminding people that who just wanna focus there there is a there is a form of error is focusing on one thing to the exclusion of others. Yes, God is love, but there's a lot else to consider, especially his righteousness and justice. Romans five eight. Another good one. This may ring a bell. Just the just the the passage itself, the the address rather, is probably ringing a bell. I think I think it may be part of the Romans road. If any of you learn that um, that way of presenting the gospel through Romans, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, He you know. He went, and, he went and did it even though we were in a mess. It wasn't like, oh, those guys, they're such good folks. I'm just going to go for it. And there's even verses like that in Romans before. You know, hey, there may be some people that may go die for a good person, but God took care of us when we were his enemies, when we were sinners. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. And we know 8 and 9 is about grace, gospel, so this is leading, leading into that famous passage. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Ravi Zacharias had this interesting statement that I saw on a YouTube order. You know, God didn't come, you know, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He made he came to make dead people live. I was like, we were in bad shape. I mean, you know, we were just, you're being described as dead. Does it get worse than that? No. And we're over time, so we'll just leave it there. There was one more uh, moral attribute to take care of, immutable, and that really would have, that, that traditional list that a lot of us learned under, that would have really covered, and that is God does not change. So when you put all those together, and immutability there, there, that seals the deal because, you know, if he wasn't immutable, all right, God's loving today and tomorrow. It's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done being loving. You're like, nope, that is that is not going to happen. I mean, imagine that horror. Um, you know, newsflash, God's done being love. It's like, well, is he going to go back to doing that again? Because I don't want to move. <laughs> I don't want to move from this spot right now. That that would be that, that would be just just unbelievably horrifying if he wasn't if he wasn't immutable and that any or imagine eternity yeah hey you know it's a trillion years in yeah you know I was really thinking about what you guys did back then it's like no like a fire's got room in it you're done you know like no we do not have to worry we do not have to worry about that 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 is great and on that note we'll close in prayer father thank you for your character we thank you for your righteousness and justice that means that there will be no corruption in you ever. We also thank you, Father, that, that your attributes did not end there, that you are loving, that you are motivated to send Christ uh, to die for us, and even to heap blessings upon that. We thank you for your eternal life. That means we will all live together. There will never be a time where 
we just all wink out of existence because you're not there to sustain us. Father, we can look forward to an eternity with you. And, of course, Father, as we just discussed a minute ago, immutability, that your goodness is permanent, that your salvation is permanent, Father. What, what a great blessing. Help us, Father, to be energized by this, to be encouraged by it, and to tell people about it who need to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.